Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Outkick 360's Tennessee Power Hour is here. Glad you're with us as well. Alongside Chad Withrow and Paul Koharski, I'm Jonathan Hutton. David Reed is the chairman of the board. Lance Lee is back. He walked in and declared himself back this week. Great to have him along with Jakob Swanson. Ellie Sylvia, our production assistant. Shout out to Becca Risley and Sleepy Danny as well for making it happen. As we broadcast live from the 6th and Peabody Studios with Yeehaw Beer, Old Smoky Moonshine, Chad, we were, uh, you went to the restroom during the break there, and as we begin the second hour, you said, hey, there's a, there's a lot of people that are awaiting flights from the big weekend, a lot of tourism here in downtown Nashville, and they're all here at, at Old Smoky getting ready. It's like our very own Ellis Island here at Old Smoky <laughs> at Six and Peabody, and the amount of accents you can catch just with conversations that you walk by, uh, there was a, a young woman, probably mid-20s, that was explained to our friend about the, the apple, the apple pie. The apple pie is a great one. It's a sweet apple. It's got a taste of apple in there. And she's going through the whole thing with her friends. And it was great just hearing the back and forth of them thinking, boy, you guys are not from Nashville. That's clear. Uh, and they had their bags with them as they were getting ready to head wherever they came from. How come you broke with the red shirt protocol today? I don't know. Um, Hutton and I have some of the same shirts, so we'll, we are good now about... Well, you follow One of us will just like say, hey, I'm wearing this one, because we, we have a, a, two or three of the same shirts. Hutton hates that, by the way. And, uh, but we'll, we'll check. And, it, and Hutton gets precedent because he found the shirts first. I, he obviously gets the, the first right of refusal on every piece of wardrobe. <laughs> I, I wore this today because I know that none of you guys have this shirt. I get pretty monocto on all shirts. So I didn't think about it, yes. All, all matters of fashion. <laughs> Hutton receives prima nocta. I mean, I think if we're going two-thirds. But if he starts wearing Cole Hans, like these brown ones I have, that uh, we're made off a big the shirt in our last studio. I think if we're wearing two out of three, we should go all the way. We should have like one day where we all wear green. I don't think it's bad to color coordinate as a group. <laughs> Not wear the same thing, but like just inform everyone in a group text what you're Let's wearing. Today. But I also think that would become very tiresome very quickly. No, I think with just one day it'd be funny. Well, not, I mean, I'm not even saying wear the same color shirt. I'm just saying if, you know, you started, Paul, hey, I'm wearing a blue shirt. Hutton, I'm wearing green. I'm wearing stripes. We did it for a while at the beginning, know. and then it kind of timed itself out. It is what it is at this point. I mean, it's, I mean, uh, great it's bound to happen. Bound to happen. Um, coming up this hour, we will get into Titans and Bucks, and we'll give our synopsis, our recap, our thoughts on what we saw from the Titans preseason game number two going into this week's week of work against uh, Chicago Bears uh, this coming Saturday. We'll also get into the protocol for Mike Vrabel now that he has COVID-19, and he announced that on the Zoom presser yesterday with the media following the, the, the Titans win in Tampa. Uh, we'll get into that, what it means for the Titans, who's going to be running practices, uh, communication aspect of all that, and just the protocols that the league has in place for vaccinated and unvaccinated players that come in close contact or did come in close contact with, with Coach Vrabel. Uh, th that's all to come. We'll start the hour, though, uh, with our condolences to the family of Floyd Reese 
and, and give our thoughts on the former Titans general manager who passed away this weekend at the age of 73 after a bout with cancer uh, that uh, he was working last week on local radio on 102.5 The Game, or last week, last year, uh, 102.5 The Game, and, and stepped away. And you got the sense then that something was going on. And, and word trickled out then that he had a health issue. And uh, it's just so sad that um, that Floyd, who's, who was a great guy, always was laughing and, and I won't say joking around, but he was always in a really great mood. Uh, kind of set the tone and the tempo. If you're having a bad day, he'd come over and joke with you. If you're having a great day, he'd come over and joke with you about how bad <laughs> your reporting was or how bad the interview went. Um, we'll miss him. And uh, he was always friendly with us. Uh, he was really good to local media whenever the team moved here. And he was the architect of the only team that has made it to a Super Bowl here in Nashville. Um, he's been with the organization for quite some time. He started as a linebackers coach for the Houston Oilers and worked his way up to general manager, was there whenever Jeff Fisher was hired as the full-time coach, moved to Nashville, and we know the story from there. Uh, but Paul, he was, he was a great guy. That's where we should start. Yeah. He was just a solid dude. Solid, solid guy, lived football. First, uh, first week that I was on the Oilers beat in Houston, Texas, uh, which would have been summer of 96, hot as hell down there. And um, a Titans facility not far from uh, the Astrodome at the time. <clears throat> but the administrative building was on the same street as the practice facility, but it was uh, around the corner. So you went kind of down the street and around the bend. And it was maybe a little over a quarter mile. And so everybody drove it. And so uh, I had had my first sit down with him over in his office at the administrative building and then was going over to practice. And my car was still being delivered. The Tennessean these days would still do something like uh, they were relocating me. And that, so my car was coming. So I had a rental car. So I drove from this interview with Floyd to the practice field. And I was behind a you know, medium-sized truck that was carrying those giant water things that you put on a water cooler. Yeah. It was loaded with those. So you couldn't really see the guy's rearview mirror by any chance. Well, this guy in front of me stopped and started to back up. I'm in a rental car and I can't find reverse real quick. I'm hitting the horn. This guy backs directly into me and crunches my rental car. Not paying attention to you at all. Has no idea anybody's behind him. He yeah. missed his Doesn't turn. See you. He missed his turn into where he's going to deliver deliver oh, water. No. And he just backed up into me. It's my first week of work on the Oilers in Houston. So I'm standing on the street with this guy like, oh my God, what are you doing? It's a rental car. You know, now I got to go to the airport. And up comes Floyd Reese, driving, circling past the thing, and I'm on the street talking to this guy, and he rolls down his window. Hey, hey, Bo, is that you? I said, yeah. <laughs> just laughed. <laughs> I just kept I going. He goes, well, at least we got that interview in. <laughs> Hope you make it in practice. Rolled the window back up. And goes, just tell the story, Paul. Tell the story of um, he was really – I mean, he was pissed at you pissed. Um, about the story. The f it was, I don't know if it was the first week of games yes. or not, but yeah. so. so 
when the team moved here and they played at the Liberty Bowl in Memphis, and they practiced and stayed here in Nashville, the team would charter a flight to, to Memphis with the team because every game was a road game, essentially. Yeah. They played in Memphis. The team would fly to Memphis from Nashville. Meanwhile, the families would drive. And so after the game, teams fly immediately out from the stadium. They'd be back in Nashville way before their families would arrive back in Nashville. And the players were not not particularly on board with oh, this. It's were, mainly, were, mainly because of the wives. The wives hated this. The wives were really upset with this plan, and it was bubbling up for the players as a big issue leading into this first game. So players were flying on Saturday and then flying back after the game on Sunday. But the families were being offered a bus ride to Memphis the morning of the game and then a bus ride back after, after the game. So the players would get home and be back at the house waiting on their wives and children to arrive from Memphis, which is not an ideal situation. And players were upset, mostly, you know, legitimately, and their wives were really upset. So sure. happy, happy wife, happy life, you know. And some of them were grumbling to me, and I talked to a few of the wives, and I, I, I went to Floyd as I was writing this story, and he was just livid that I was going to write this story. He said, you know, we got a million moving parts going on, and if you think I give a damn about this in, in the context of all we have going on, getting ready for the Raiders and commuting to this game, you're insane. He said, you have crossed me. I don't know. We had a couple, thing, a couple things, you know, like we always do, and I, I can't remember if it was two times or three times. He said, this is the second or third time that you've crossed me. Not crossed, effed. This is the second or third time that you've effed me. If you do it again, I'm going to take my chance. One of us is getting fired, and I'm going to take my chances. It's going to be you. I walked, out of, I walked out of his office, and I'm still pretty young at that stage, and this is the strongest, strongest hit that I've taken from a guy. A dressing in, in down. Power. And I just remember walking out of his office thinking, that's, that, that was big time one right, right there. Well, it was a, it was a non-football issue during a football week. Right. Where, big, where intensity is high. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's probably Wednesday, maybe Thursday. So I walked out of there. I remember going out for drinks with somebody that night, like trying to <laughs> wind it down and, and whatever. And then as all things do in situations like that, it just kind of peters out, you know, and you move on and you're doing whatever. But I remember at the end of the season crossing paths with him somewhere and, and him saying, uh, we got off to a pretty shaky start this season, didn't we? Uh, things turned out all right, didn't they, Bo? And it was just like, you know, he kind of put a And Bo was his name for everyone. Call everybody Bo. Still out at the facility, you, you, you hear some people swing their arms. He does this, you know, like, always just kind of swinging them. Hey, Bo. So, so sometimes out there, people still say that, you know, they were either around for Floyd or they caught that from somebody who was around for, for Floyd. Always a very casual conversation with him in my experiences with Floyd. It was never, we, we never talked ball. You know, like the, the, the general managers since Floyd, all of them, I felt like most of the conversations I've had have been about X's and O's in some way, form. It, with him, it was more just very casual. We, we would discuss things prior to an interview. The, the one memory I have uh, of Floyd is we, we did a, um, for Titans Radio, at the time, we used a Marantz, which is a cassette recorder. And this was, or this is like 2005, 2006. And I don't know what the topic was about, but I was sent out to chat with Floyd about something. 
uh, because Mike was getting Fisher, I think, earlier that same day for a production meeting. And um, the, you, you hit record, you, you hit play and record at the same time or something, and it would record on the cassette. Well, one of the two buttons jammed. And so I thought I was recording, but I really wasn't recording. Nightmare. And this was a Friday or a Thursday. And that following Friday, I had to go back up to him. And he was gracious enough to redo the interview and then, you know, ripped me for it afterwards in a, in a joking manner as Floyd could do. Uh, but, but very gracious with his time, which, which ties in. I mean, and no general manager has done it since in this town. A full hour show, Chad, that you were a part of where Floyd would come on during a 5 o'clock hour on Friday, I believe, leading into every game week from 5 to 6 p.m., Floyd Reese, the general manager of the Tennessee Titans, was on the flagship radio station, 104.5 The Zone, every single week. Yeah, uh, that, that's unheard of now. Every Friday, 5 to 6, with uh, George Plaster, Willie Donick, Darren McFarland show I worked on at 104.5 The Zone at the time. Um, yeah, every Friday, 5 to 6 p.m., Floyd Reese would join us. And you know, my memories of him, I was so young at the time, I was sort of in no place to really, you know, yuck it up. Oh, I should, I should mention he was in studio. Yeah, well, he or was. Or on location. We were typically on location. So he'd come on location because I was the guy who would park Floyd Reese's car. <laughs> you know, if we were at a restaurant or something, he would just drive up and sort of valet it with mm. me. He wouldn't even look for a parking spot. And he'd kind of throw me his keys uh, in a very nice way. But he also trusted me enough with his car that I would just tell him when I said, hey, you know, I parked it over here always super nice the thing i remember about floyd reese in those interviews on that show was that he had this way about him where he could answer a question for three to four minutes and say absolutely nothing <laughs> but yet you felt satisfied by the end of it with his answer that is a special skill he doesn't give away any trade secrets he wasn't giving you the nuclear code for the game you know he wasn't telling you what he was really thinking but he had a polite way about him that in those interviews, he was great at not being gruff, but answering a question in a way that you felt satisfied, even though he didn't really answer your question. And I'll always remember that about Floyd. I remember uh, his wife and uh, you know, we're thinking about Sally Reese and his entire family, but his wife, after he was no longer the GM, calling that same show yeah. and uh, you know taking issue uh, with things about the organization. Uh, and taken up for her husband and Floyd, and she was a character also. But Floyd was just, I, I don't have the story that Paul has where I wrote some negative thing about the organization and we had it out. You know, I was the guy, again, who would be his valet when he showed up. You know, I was the one that made sure he had what he needed yeah. at the restaurant we were at or in the studio the entire time. And I was never, I never th thought of myself as on par or a colleague with Floyd Reese. It was Floyd Reese, general manager of the Tennessee Titans, and I'm this 23 to 25-year-old kid that was happy to be in his presence and happy to ask the occasional football question to him. And he's always the guy who was polite and kind enough to answer it and, once again, just always give you that answer that you felt satisfied with. And that's what I remember about Floyd. So I, I've got one good capper. Heidi Westerbeck was Floyd's new administrative assistant when he got to town. Um, and he told her, no rules. But Steve Watterson, the strength and conditioning coach, who he was good friends with, walked by and he said, no rules but one. Stay away from that guy. This is 1997. Watterson and Westerbeck got married in 2001. <laughs> Floyd Reese was the best man. Mike Munchak was a groomsman. 
Greg Williams was a groomsman. And in his toast, Floyd Reese said, here's the daughter I never had marrying a guy who's my brother. Only in Tennessee could I be celebrating them getting married. <laughs> Which is perfect. That's a great toast. But, you know, it's... It's never great when something like this happens, but what's really cool and puts in perspective is the amount of people that talk about their career being touched by Floyd Reese. You know, all the tributes that come pouring in when he passed away. Bill Belichick talking about Floyd Reese's impact on him with the Detroit Lions when he was an assistant and how Floyd was, you talked about Steve Watterson, Floyd was a cutting edge strength coach in the NFL at the time, and he was doing things no one else was doing. You read things like that, and it really puts into perspective just how far-reaching his career went, how many people he impacted. And he knew Belichick and Saban. So, I mean, if you're a guy in the NFL and you're a key, key friend and of both love those him. two guys that tells you of your stature in the league, Saban was on the Oilers' staff with Jack Pardee way back with, with Reese. And, um, and he worked for Belichick uh, for three years after his time with the Titans as a salary cap guy who helped out Nick Casario, who has said nice things about him now. Paul, did you know the story that, that Robinson told postgame? Uh, I did not know that he called Steve Underwood. Underwood. And that was the first time he spoke. So Robinson told us that down in Tampa Bay after the game, he stepped in to give a statement before postgame interviews and said that, that um, you know, Floyd got to know Robinson in New England when they were both working for the Patriots. And Floyd called Steve Underwood on his behalf, on Robinson's behalf. And it was the first time he spoke, first and I imagine only time, he spoke to Steve Underwood since Steve Underwood delivered the news to him that he was no longer to be the Titans' general manager. Class move that meant yes. a ton to John Robinson. Rest in peace, Floyd Reese. Uh, who passed away at the age of 73. Coming up, we get into the Titans and Bucks preseason game. We'll see clearly, thanks to Dr. Rolando Toyos, that's straight ahead on a couple of roster spots that seem to be determined now based on some moves today. We'll get into that, plus uh, the, just the communication aspects of practice this week and going into game week against the Bears, preseason game number three, potentially without Mike Vrabel. We'll discuss that and more straight ahead on Outkick 360. Tennessee Power Hour on Outkick 360 across the Outkick Network, broadcasting live from the 6th and Peabody Studios here in downtown Nashville with Yeehaw and Old Smokey. Crew is all here as we recap the Titans and the Bucks and some areas of this roster we are now seeing clearly Thanks to Dr. Toyos and Toyos Clinic, Outkick 360's trusted partner for all things LASIK and hair restoration. Call 888-315-3937 to schedule your consultation today with Toyos Clinic. That is 888-315-3937, 315-3937. We have some injured players back to practice this week. Also, uh, some, some areas of concern that seem to be shaping up for some reasons of optimism, specifically at kicker. We'll get into that and much more. But first, Paul, the Titans back on the practice field today. And a number of players who have been sitting out for a couple of weeks are back. A.J. Brown, Kendall Lamb is back in the mix at right tackle. Nate Davis back at right guard. 
uh, and all these are just early on in early portion of camp uh, practice today. Ben Jones has returned today. That that's big. Um, conflicting reports on Marcus Johnson. John Glennon says he hasn't seen him. Jim Wyatt did say Marcus Johnson is back, so we should say Marcus Johnson is uh, likely back. Danico Autry and Jeff Swaim also back for the Titans on the practice field today. Julio Jones and Dane Crookshank were seen working on a side field, so that's some indication that they're closer than where they were last Friday to returning to the, uh, the active practice. All good signs for a team that's been banged up and a team that's in desperate need of seeing their first teamers. Yeah, Julio Jones, we should say, uh, you can look back on my timeline. He had a session with Rob Moore pregame, which is the first thing we've really seen him do since that fourth practice, fourth or fifth practice, where he had the awkward landing and uh, has disappeared since then. So he's running some routes uh, for his position coach, catching some balls, talking through some things. That was an encouraging sign. Uh, One of the national guys reported today, A.J. Brown's good to go for opening day. I don't think anybody was doubting that A.J. Brown was good to go for opening day, so I don't know that that was much of a headline. I think it was Adam Schefter who tweeted that. Um, Jeff Swaim uh, is a good sign. Of these guys who were, you know, Jeff Swaim's been missing the longest of these guys. So that's maybe the the biggest in terms of we didn't know. Crookshank, you said, on, on a side field, he, he's got to be in trouble. Uh, I would think I, I so. Mean, the guy can't stay healthy at all. Um, and another name that hasn't surfaced here is Matthias Farley. That, those reserve safeties are really up in the air. And a lot of these guys that they've had popping through are making plays, gathers and, and uh, some of these turnovers uh, against the Bucks were out of that safety position where guys are scrolling through. There's a lot of opportunity at back-end safety on this team right now based on injuries. And I think Crookshank's uh, maybe on a ticking clock with his inability to stay healthy. Tucker McCann, not healthy. He was waived injured earlier today. That means there's one kicker currently on the roster, and that's Sam Ficken, who since, he was, uh, since he's been claimed from the Jets by the Titans, has pretty much made all of his kicks. I believe he's 48 of 53 in those that have been charting things. I know Wyatt put that out there, I believe, 48 of 53 since he joined the team. Um, and he's been perfect in games where we've seen – the 48-yarder this past weekend. And then we saw a 58-yard attempt that was good just before half that would have been good based on distance from 65. And he hit that even. He said they would have gone from 61. Mm. And uh, he hit that field goal in practice on Thursday higher. Uh, and it hit the right upright and went out. So he took a little off in exchange for some accuracy. He's got the leg for that kick for sure. Mike Vrabel said yesterday before they made this move, I can't say that Sam's done anything to hurt himself. He said he thought he was swinging with more confidence, almost to the point where it looked like he had a stronger leg. Uh, He's done a lot. If he's not going to be on this team, it's going to be because they bring somebody from the outside. I think he's settled in. I think it's his job. Well, it's very much, you know, like a golfer in respect to confidence in your swing. He's got that. You know, there's a confidence level and a mentality that he has shown. Uh, And whenever he was signed, I initially thought this is still Tucker McCann's job to where he had the lead currently. And we're all looking for Goskowski because no one was really claiming it. Ficken has done nothing but but be solid since he was here. But I I will say, and I mentioned this last night on News Channel 5, Paul, and, and I know Chad saw it. Curious to get your guys' opinion. 
he's one bad performance away from being right back where yes. we we were whenever he was claimed. Like there are a lot of players that we can say they're they're on solid ground. They're making up ground. That they're in line to be a starter. Ficken to me is. There, there's still a lot to prove. He needs one more solid outing because if he goes out there and just completely shanks one on a field goal attempt or an extra point attempt against the Bears, we're, we're back left thinking, okay, what's going to happen week one? Well, and his performance so far silences the Steven Goskowski talk yes, it for does. now. But if he goes out there against Arizona and looks scared <laughs> and loses confidence yeah. and looks like he's got the yips for, a, for two kicks, then that discussion comes right back. And then suddenly you're talking about what to do at kicker again. But, I mean, he's been great so far throughout this preseason. I think he's firmly won that job right now. But you're right, Hutton. You know, this is preseason. He's done well in practice in preseason. If he goes out there and looks different when the regular season gets here, then he's going to have a problem. Also, I spotted James Wilhoyt on the sideline with him. In fact, I tweeted out a a still shot watching the broadcast back on Sunday morning. There's James Wilhoyt. He was standing right next to A.J. Brown and Julio Jones when they were focusing in on them on the sideline there in his Titans gear. Uh, that's the first I've, I've seen him. I actually sent a text to James and asked if he's at practice in games and didn't get a response. Yeah, he's not. And then I saw him at the game. So he's we know well that he's there. Well positioned to be seen right next to those guys. Paul, one of the things that I thought of whenever they, they attempted that 58-yarder that he made is if we rewound the, the press conferences – Three weeks ago, we were, you were asking, others were asking Vrabel, are you looking for situations to set up these kickers to really evaluate them? And the, the timing ended up being perfect for this attempt. And not only did they get a look at him, he nailed it and crushed it. I mean, it, it wasn't like it barely went in or hit an upright and then he made the 58-yarder. I mean, this was reminiscent of some of the longest field goals we've seen yes. from the, the most confident kickers that have been here in Nashville. And I think he's bought himself time. If he had a bad game against Arizona, they wouldn't give him the hook immediately. They didn't give the hook immediately to guys far worse than Sam, Sam Ficken. So uh, he, he's bought himself some time. Here's, here's the question uh, or, or the thing you don't want to happen. In case they need a safety net, you hope that Goskowski uh, doesn't get called by somebody else. Um, or that Goskowski's in a situation where he says, you know what, I'd kick for the Titans since I live here, but I don't want to go somewhere else, so that if things go south with Ficken, they can get Goskowski, but nobody else can. Yeah. And I wonder what you guys think about COVID-wise, do you need a practice Yeah, they're going to keep two. Uh, McCann... I, I would venture that the foot is probably, he's waved injured, which means he's not healthy right now. Is he a week from healthy? Is he six weeks from healthy? And is he the guy, or are they going to be on the waiver claim? There's a, there's a number two or three kicker in Tampa whose name is going to escape me now. I think he was a Florida State guy who's pretty good. Who well, the thing about Adam McCann that they talking about being a candidate for They like McCann on the practice squad last year because he could kick and he could punt. Like they, yeah. they, you had a you had a COVID emergency breaking case of emergency situation where you could call him up on a Saturday 
for both your kicker and your punter, and you're only using one spot for that in your practice. Kearns squad. had COVID. I don't know if that changes your your thinking on the necessity for a backup punter. I don't know. I wonder if, as you're putting your practice squad together, if vaccinated versus unvaccinated guys on your 53, and if guys who've had COVID versus guys who haven't had COVID, are you? Do you have a spreadsheet? I think you have. To, yeah. That says all of those things and the guys. Based you need on the to way the rules are, yeah, that's a good for, point. I think that probably shapes it a little bit what you do with the back end of your practice squad and where you have to be insured and where you don't have to be as insured. Backup quarterback also uh, among these decisions to be made where you would expect that the guys that are battling for the backup job right now, Woodside and Barkley, one of these guys is going to be on a 16-man practice squad. That, that's that's the idea because they, they have – loosened the uh, restrictions for veterans you know you have the four spots for your vets that that can be on your practice squad so Barkley would qualify if they choose to go that route Woodside certainly would as well um, Paul I know you mentioned the the Atlanta scenario with with uh, Arthur Smith and if the Titans chose to to go with Barkley as the backup they don't want to keep three on the active roster uh, if they let Woodside go Atlanta would be a nice landing spot for him because he knows Arthur Smith's offense. And now A.J. McCarron's hurt. And McCarron had the non-contact ACL injury, and he's out. So they, and, and they don't have a good option in Felipe Franks. That, that's just a completely different version from what Matt Ryan would be doing. And Woodside could theoretically step in and run the offense if you need him to. He knows the offense. He could step in quicker than the, the, the average quarterback in, in theory here. Uh, with that in mind, right now, Barkley's the better quarterback for the Tennessee Titans. Barkley's, Barkley's better. He certainly has a better arm. Woodside threw less, um, and Woodside, uh, but he was more accurate in this game than he was in the previous game. Here's the thing, though. A lot of people in the press box were saying, well, this shows that it's a real competition, that they rotated this way. They wouldn't have done that. Otherwise, well, I think what would have shown it to be a real competition even more is if they went with Barkley, right? If you went with Barkley, then you would have had a game of Woodside and a game of Barkley, one with them, each of them being first and one with each of them being second. What you have now through two games is Woodside starting one and one with them rotating. So it's not even. The second game was even, but the overall opportunity still favors Woodside. So I didn't see that as a big statement about Barkley having closed, uh, closed the gap or being more of a contender. He may be. He's, he's played better. I still think Woodside's in the lead. Well, I, I think Barkley's been better. I don't think there's any doubt about it. I, I thought the pass to Des Fitzpatrick was a good one. I thought Fitzpatrick was pretty open, though. It was yeah, a good route. Surprisingly his, his open for an NFL receiver I think the to guy get that covering open. him stumbled a Yeah. Um, Barkley's got the better arm. That first touchdown pass was very impressive on the fourth down where he's getting pressure in his face and puts just the right amount of velocity on the ball and touch to get it there for the, the touchdown and the first down pickup. I mean, Barkley's been more impressive to me. I understand the comfort level with Logan Woodside understanding uh, the offense. But if it's truly a competition, at some point you've got to go with a guy who's been better. The thing that stands out to me most with Barkley is his timing. Uh, he, you're not scheming against blitz packages. Barkley gets rid of the football, and Logan Woodside does not. And that's two straight games where this has happened to Logan Woodside. That 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 in and of itself is valuable. That that's saving you down in distance. I I I look to 
that's where the veteran aspect of Barkley is really paying off this time of year because Woodside hasn't really played. He didn't play at all in the preseason last year. That's been well documented as to why. Um, but even in games, I mean, at least you have some value there with Barkley that Woodside doesn't give you. And just the, the timing and the rhythm. Woodside doesn't read these blitzes. He, guys are loading the box and they're bringing it. And he doesn't get rid of the football. He holds onto it. Yeah. And, and that, that, is, that would be a big concern. If you can know the offense all you want to, you have to know the timing of some of these situations. I'll just devil's advocate this. I don't disagree with anything you said there. Neither of them has played behind anything close to the offensive line. Right. Now, if, the, if one of them is called on to play, yes, they're going to be blitzed, but they're going to have better protection against that blitz than they've had, had so far, and they're going to be asked to do very little. But regardless, you you're, you're still prefer the guy Barkley. that... Uh, yeah, and who you, reads it the better guy who's and better has against a better, pressure. better feel for it. Um, and Barkley said, you know, about that route that he threw to Kinsey for the touchdown. That was a great pass. Hadn't thrown that route. It was. Hadn't yeah. thrown that route in practice here. You know, knows the route from around, but hadn't thrown it in practice here. He, he, he's better. It's going to be interesting to see uh, how much that means or how much they're judging it on things other than preseason game performance. That was, uh, that was one of those passes on that touchdown to Mason Kinsey that it takes a second to realize that he caught it because it was so surprising with the coverage and where he put that ball and then the catch Kinsey made to see that he went to the ground with the football and it was a touchdown. Very impressive on both ends of that. But Barkley's been really good. Uh, as far as consistency goes, Makai Sargent ha- has been one of the bright spots of these preseason games. Um, he's going to get more work uh, this week and in and, and the second half against the Chicago Bears at least uh, as part of that rotation. But Jeremy McNichols has been fine. Hill has been fine. And Sargent has done what's been asked of him. He, I, I think he has a nice feel for running the football. He's had some nice outside zone runs. Um, there was one instance where I think the run was designed to go inside, and it was not blocked well. He planted his right foot and got outside and got positive yardage. That's, that's value in a number three back. But the real value is on special teams where he scores the touchdown, then he's on the line to go cover the kickoff. That, that's what you need in a, in a player that when you keep him on the, – the third running back is going to be active on game day for special teams purposes, and you need him to have the ability to come in and, and spell uh, the number two running back who could be the number one if, if Henry were to go down. If Evans goes down, what do you do? I think this is just a – I don't think McNichols or Sargent gets claimed if you cut them loose – you're getting one on your practice squad. The question is, which version back do you want for the offense that you're running? McNichols also has special teams value. Um, and so do you want what McNichols brings or do you want more of what Makai Sargent is right now? And, and right now, Makai Sargent is, is the guy producing. Well, I think the number one thing comes down to pass protection. And Jeremy McNichols effectively pass protected last year with Darrington Evans out. Darrington Evans is out again now. And so that second back, the third back is actually the second back. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that we've seen Makai Sargent have to pass protect the way that we've seen Jeremy McNichols already do it in a game. I think McNichols is valued for that. I think Sargent's a practice squad type. I also think... 
getting rushing yards in the fourth quarter of preseason games tends to be overrated. That McNichols, Evans, when he was playing, they're not going to get rushing yards behind what the Titans are fielding against any hungry second-team defensive front guys, particularly on a team like Tampa where those guys are, are – uh, that's just ingrained in their defensive front, right? They're not giving up anything. They're playing behind great, great guys, and they're, they're in that ethos. But I, I think it's been stacked against Titans to run the ball in the first half period it's fruitless they keep handing it off anyway yes Um, and there's just nothing to be had there there's going to be more daylight in the fourth quarter of those games um so i think sergeant showed well for himself and that he's been really good practice squad a crack practice squad spot is a is a victory for him but i think they value mcnichols and i think the most important thing is pass protection i don't know that we've really seen sergeant have to do it in a way that it's saving the quarterback and they need somebody they know can save Tannehill. You know, it's, you can read way too much into uh, team's personality on the sidelines or in warmups or when they're together. But there were a couple of moments in that game watching the television broadcast where um, there was a nice run by Sargent and you had Mike Vrabel, the head coach, you ran right into him. And Vrabel's patting him on the, I mean, talking to him, patting him on the head, walking him back almost to the huddle. I'm not going to read too much into that, but you can tell when a head coach gravitates towards a player for their effort. And here is an undrafted guy absolutely getting it done. He works and hard. And the head coach appreciating that, especially as a former player. He works hard. Uh, I, I wonder about Evans's injury um, and, and what his timetable is. That's a concern for this team. Are we going to, a second year in a row, be wondering about the – element that he's supposed to bring this team and the absence of it. Chris Jackson did not play in this game, and I don't know if it had anything to do with the punch that he received by Antonio Brown or not. It didn't. He warmed up and left, so there's some speculation amongst the media that he, he hurt himself during warm-ups. This is a situation where I can't understand why the Titans, you know, don't tell wouldn't you. help him out by, by saying well, if he's hurt, Elijah Molden's the starter. And if he's not quite hurt, frankly, Elijah Molden, Molden is starter. going to be the starter. He just um, has a knack for it. There's a yep. Logan Ryan, Donald Mitchell feel just in that one game to the He's a combo he of, of Logan and Cortland Finnegan. And yep. I, that's why I, comp- I compared him to both players pre-draft, why I wanted him here. Um, because he, he is excellent. He is built for the nickel role. He may not have the nuance down, you know, but – this this guy has a knack for finding the football, and you know, Coach Mack for years with us guys would always use the term triggering at the line of scrimmage on that screen pass. He identified exactly where the ball was going. Boom! It didn't matter who was trying to block him because he already knew where the play was going to be. He was in the backfield at the snap. I mean that that was that's exactly what you want from that position. And that was right after the sack where he went under. Yeah, that's right. Under yeah. two offensive. I, I don't linemen. know how. Uh, it was almost like a gymnastics feat that he was able to go as low as he did, almost dive, but he pushed himself up. He never really hit the ground. It's almost like he, yeah. like a frog leapt, you know, put his hands down and then just bounced right off the ground with his hands and then kept going full speed. It was, it was impressive. He, 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 was, uh, he was great. He had the breakout game like Weaver had the week before, but I think uh, uh, in many ways more meaningful. Um, 
Weaver played inside some and showed some versatility, but was not nearly as influential on this game as he was on the prior game. I think Molden's on his way up. And I, I thought it was very telling that he said, like, everything that worked worked because I was doing my job. And I just kind of uh, saw practice turn into the game. So I think this puts him on a, on a, on a, on a real good path. We got a lot to get to with Tennessee. Two huge stories coming out of their media availability today with Josh Heupel. One, quarterback, starter, not named. Two, Josh Heupel refusing to say percentage of team that's, va- that's vaccinated, which he has done throughout. Um, and there's a story from Andy Staples that shows this is something that could hit Tennessee in the bottom line and other schools if you're not over 80% vaccinated. Mm. We'll discuss. With that, and uh, thanks to Dr. Rolando Toyos and Toyos Clinic for our Seeing Clearly segment. Each and every Monday, we recap the Titans on where we're seeing clearly with this roster. Outkick 360's trusted partner for all things LASIK and hair restoration. Call 888-315-3937 to schedule your consultation today with Toyos Clinic. You know, it's a great weekend whenever we make it rain. And it was a great weekend for the 360 Daily Parlay, Outkick 360, and FanDuel. FanDuel.com slash OK360. Chad, you gave us a winner on Friday. Give us a winner today. Back-to-back, Hutton. We're going back-to-back with winners, and we're going to show you that parlay right now. Three legs, and it's going to be a big one. Cameron Smith from New Zealand. Is he from New Zealand or Australia? Now I forget. Doesn't matter. He's from down under. He's a winner. That's what matters. He is going to win. He shot a 60 in the third round of the Northern Trust. Outright winner, Red Sox money line. They are minus 300 against the Rangers. And I'm going for a low-scoring affair between the Yankees and the Braves. Take the under nine, three-leg parlay, $5 bet, nets you $52.81. Paul's betting this, but he's not confident. I bet that. I bet it hard. Two of those legs will lose. The Red Sox will lose. The Yankees will score nine <laughs> runs by themselves. So Cameron Thanks. Smith and John Rahm are tied atop the leaderboard. I love Cam Smith. And they're the two that are 16 under, I think, going in the final round. At last check, though, I wasn't certain this round was going to get played because of Henri. Right? Henri? Henri. Henri. Yes, I always Henri. go to French pronunciation <laughs> expert Paul Kaharski for that. Henri caused it yesterday to be delayed to today with rain. But it was also some rain in the area today. Might not be played outside of New York weekend. City. So we may be. Uh, Chad's you know, holding on to the parlay by picking events I'm, that will be rain delayed for a month. I may have the parlay again tomorrow just because this one doesn't finish tonight and it'll just carry over to tomorrow. My brother, a big Braves fan who lives in Greenville, South Carolina, trying to taunt, tempt me yesterday, said, uh, Want to meet in Atlanta tomorrow night? Come on, just drive down. We'll go to the game. Uh, Tempting. Chad, uh, also, you're putting, we could be putting up the parlay for a couple days, depending on what happens with Andre. Um, Heupel's putting off the decision of a starting quarterback in Knoxville. Yeah, Josh Heupel opened the press conference by sending well wishes to Waverly, Tennessee, in the area affected uh, by the flooding. And then he got into the big question, which is whether or not he was going to name a starting quarterback. He is not. Said the quarterbacks continue to compete, progress, but they're going to have to earn the respect of the locker room and the coaches uh, fully before he names a starter. It's going to be Joe Milton, I think, from people at VolQuest that are reporting the reps in practice. It's going to be Joe Milton followed by Hendon Hooker. Now, I would not discount Hendon Hooker as a guy that uh, if there is a quick hook, no pun intended, with Joe Milton, Hooker's going to be the guy that gets in there quickly. 
Uh, they really like what he can do, especially with his legs. So I would look forward to be Joe Milton followed by Hendon Hooker. Uh, the decision not to name a starting quarterback, I don't think it matters. I think it's stupid in this day and age to hold that information if, in fact, they've made one. I also don't think that they're telling Joe Milton he's the starter and then going to the press conference and saying they haven't named one yet. I think they probably know in the back of their mind that he's the starter, but they haven't told the three players now that are vying for it. Uh, what does this do to Harrison Bailey if he's, in fact, the third quarterback? I think Austin Price said they'd probably bracket the backups and say or. It'll be Joe Milton followed by Hendon Hooker or Harrison Bailey in that second spot. The other thing to come out of the press conference today with, with Josh Heupel was asked about vaccinations. And early on in training camp, he said he was very confident they would get to that 80% threshold for the team. Was asked about it today, and he said, I'm not sure about a percentage, but I can tell you the needle continues to slowly tick in the right direction in terms of vaccinations. In not a good sign. Not, apparently not, because that's not a great sign for Tennessee, simply because if they have to forfeit a game, and the, the SEC is yet to lay out their forfeit plan, mm-hmm. but if they're a team that doesn't have enough available players to play a game, not only would you forfeit the game, but you forfeit money. If it dents the league's TV contract in any way, those teams can have money taken from them. Um, at SEC Media Day, six of the 14 SEC schools were over 80%. Lane Kiffin says 100% of Ole Miss's team is vaccinated. Nick Saban said all but one player at Alabama is vaccinated. Georgia's at 90%. Tennessee is under 80% right now. We know that because he did not confirm they're over 80%. That's something to follow as we get ready to watch games. If there's some sort of outbreak and Tennessee can't play a game, not only would they more than likely forfeit, they're not going to you know, postpone a game. They could be out some money. That's uh, something to keep a close eye on. Um, he's going to be quiet about it until there's progress. Right? Well, and then you got Brian Harson, uh, you know, who was – Josh Heupel has said he encourages his team to get vaccinated, that he's hoping you know, he, that it's going in the right direction. So he's definitely in line with, I want my guys to get vaccinated, my coaches to get vaccinated. Brian Harson did not take that tact at all. He said at SEC Media Days they were at 60%. Auburn was. And then Friday, he tests positive for COVID-19. And now he's isolating. So a similar situation, although I don't believe he's vaccinated. Uh, he has not said one way or the other. But a little different from Mike Frabel. But there's another head coach that's out right now with COVID. Gentlemen, there are many show developments coming on the horizon, but we've also had some questions from our listeners and viewers about our annual fantasy league, which is a big deal. And I am here to say that while it was difficult for us to put this together, we will in fact have a fantasy league. I am taking charge of this thing. You still have to suck up to all three of us, but the, the path to this is to tweet me. It's through Twitter. It's through my Twitter, at Paul Kuharski NFL. Slide up on my Twitter. Slide up in my DMs. What you basically have to do is suck up to us. What can you do for us? Do big things, and you're in. Do nothing, and you're out. The event will be held September 8th right here at the Yeehaw Brewery, right here at Old Smoky. You see the name here at the distillery. It will be a big night. It will be a great night. September 8th, right before, the night before the season starts. 
You can be in this league. You can be beaten by the three of us. <laughs> Start your machinations. Yeah, this is, uh, in the past, we've done huge events with three different leagues, and everyone brings a guest. This is going to be a huge event in spirit only. Intimate. And spirits it's only. It's going to be an intimate event. Spirit and spirits. We're going to have 14 people there that are participating in the draft in the league. No guests. And we're going to have a big time together. As you said, Paul, more intimate event. Half intimate price setting. off everything. We're going to, That's my understanding. Yes. Paul, who's, nice Paul, who's taken over completely but doesn't know the food and drink Half setup. Half price off everything. <laughs> and is looking down here at me for, so what's, what's the deal? Just looking for the nod on the confirmation. Half price off everything, which is a steal, because the prices here are very reasonable to begin with. Uh, let's wrap up with Mike Vrabel, who has COVID-19. He's not with the Tennessee Titans, at least uh, for a 48-hour period, but it could be longer than that, up to 10 days, which means he could miss the preseason game this Saturday against the Chicago Bears. Um, Paul, who is running practice for them right now? Uh, tweets from at least Joe Rex Road indicate that Craig Ackerman, the special teams coach, uh, delivered words to the team after stretch before it broke for practice, so indications are it's him. He did this once before. I can't remember the occasion that Vrabel was not at practice or they may have just did it one time uh, to, to test the operation in case Vrabel wasn't there. But uh, it appears to be Ackerman. He's got a special reporter friend in town, his, his uh, chosen source. So uh, it's not me. So look for reports for that. He likes to sneak out information from his own guy, CPA Connections. Uh, that'll further confirm that he's in control. He's he's the guy in control, and and it from CPA the sound of school, not certified public accountant. Is what from you're the sound of it, he uh, he would have Ackerman would have been the guy last year for yes. their setup and protocol. So it's almost like they just they're rolling out okay, their protocol no. from last year, even though they have Jim Schwartz on staff now, who is not coaching a position, who has had coaching experience, and is on the practice field every day. Well, made a lot I, of I was watching you on News Channel 5 last night and watched the clip where Vrabel mentioned three people. Craig Ackerman, Jim Hazlitt, Hazlitt who's got head coaching Jim experience, Schwartz. and Jim Schwartz. And Hazlitt's coaching linebackers. Schwartz is not coaching Schwartz a position. Schwartz would have made sense because during practice, Schwartz is really an observer. Uh, so he doesn't have a duty. Ackerman has duties that aren't always executed. Let me, See, go, I, let me go outside the box here with someone else who's mostly observing right now that we're not hearing a lot from. James Wilhoyt. <laughs> as possible fill-in head coach. If it works for Sam Ficken and the guys out here blasting 58-yarders that have been good from 65, should I, James Wilhoyt for fill-in head coach while Vrabel's out. Should I read Let's into the fact that started. if Ackerman's doing this, that he would be the de facto head coach Saturday no, if they needed I, him to? I, I think that would be correct. I don't think they'd be switching things up. I think he's the the head coach for the duration of Vrabel being out. But I also think it's quite possible that Vrabel tests negative two times in short sure. order and reemerges quickly as so soon he, as he, Wednesday. He needs two negative tests in, uh, in a 48-hour period. If, if so, because he's fully vaccinated, he's, he's back. Uh, and and that, that's the case for players this year, too, who are vaccinated. Um, and it, for close contact, for con contact tracing, uh, the players that are asymptomatic that have been around Vrabel, even last week, people are asking like last week in Tampa on the plane, whatever it might be, those guys are, can practice today. They're not sidelined. They're not quarantined. So um, it's easy to read into why Rush is on the COVID-19 reserve list today, and he's the only player 
um, that has been placed Tom on there. Tom Brady, to me, is a question. Uh, and I don't think he's been asked if he's been vaccinated. There's been no story there, which is kind of weird. Uh, I wonder there. And I wonder if there'll be any news out, out of Tampa Bay. If there is, we'll have it. We'll lead the show with it tomorrow. Back at it tomorrow across the Outkick Network, live from the 6th and Peabody Studios with Yeehaw and Old Smokey. Thanks for joining us for Outkick 360. You see the sign behind Chad every day. It says, don't block the box, obey it, and also lock your locks. Hey, it's Jonathan Hutton. Thanks for listening to Outkick 360. Be sure to subscribe to the show to have the latest podcast delivered to you each and every day. And give us five stars. It helps us grow our network and provide you with more great podcasts like this one.